Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Bloody M Yes. Even I fall victim to creepy urban legends and err on the side of caution. But are Halloween myths really myths? Or is there some truth in those urban legends we grew up with? This is the history behind the crime. Happy Halloween, everyone! Welcome to a bonus episode of The History Behind the Crime. I'm Erin Lasley. This weekend, I am watching all of my favorite scary movies, including Halloween, The Conjuring, and The Exorcist, and have dressed Maggie up in her favorite devil hoodie. Uh, last week, I carved my own jack-o'-lantern. Uh, thank you, Travis and Axel. And put it on my front porch. And even though I probably won't get any trick-or-treaters, but that's okay. I do, after all, live in an apartment. But anyway, let's dive in. Halloween myths and urban legends. There are quite a few out there. And I've had a ball looking into them and even calling up some police departments to get their professional opinions. Quick side note. This past week, I did reach out to the police department in my hometown of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I spoke with a very lovely officer with public affairs, but he would get back to me after he did his own research on the topic, and he would get back to me before I started recording this weekend. Unfortunately, on October 27th, there was a family murder-suicide in Broken Arrow where six children and two adults were found dead in a home. The tragedy made the national news, which meant that that wonderful officer I spoke with had more pressing things to do than to do some research for me. I know on this podcast, I've been equally critical and complimentary towards law enforcement, but this is one of those times I want to thank them for their service. If any of my Broken Arrow buddies out there see BAPD out and about, be sure to thank them because Thursday's tragedy will stick with a lot of them for a very long time. So this week we're going to talk about Halloween myths and legends. The first one I want to tackle is that Halloween is evil or satanic. I know scores of people who do not let their kids celebrate Halloween because they are afraid of, you know, evil influences. And honestly, that's none of my business. You raise your kids how you want to raise them. However, as a historian, I can confidently say Halloween does not have its roots in devil worship. We can trace Halloween's origins back to the ancient Celts and the celebration of Samhain, uh, which looks like it's pronounced Samhain, but it's Samhain, uh, which was a fire festival to celebrate the end of the summer and the autumn harvest. It's, I guess I would describe it more like a, kind of like a Thanksgiving celebration. Uh, during this time, the Celts did believe the veil between the spirit world and our world was at its thinnest. And of course, we're talking 
the spirit world. We're not talking about the veil between us and hell, but, you know, anything that may be on the other side. So not necessarily demons or devils or anything like that. To ward off or confuse any spirits that might have gotten through the veil, the Celts lit large bonfires, they dressed in costumes, and even left bowls of food outside their houses so the spirits didn't enter. This also fell in line with the Celtic New Year, which was on November 1st, so it was a huge celebration for the Celts. When Christianity started its climb north from Rome, the Catholic Church actually adopted a lot of pagan rituals and holidays in order to convert more people. Uh, Soween was one of those holidays. In the 9th century, Pope Gregory III declared November 1st to be All Souls, or All Saints Day, which was celebrated in almost the same fashion as Soween, with bonfires, costumes, and even jack-o'-lanterns. Uh, a lot of people use turnips, uh, but the Irish used pumpkins. In Middle English, I thought this was kind of cool. All Souls Day was pronounced... I, I know I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try. All Hallowmas, which evolved into All Hallows Eve, and then <gasps> Halloween. When Europeans came to the English colonies... Uh, kind of like how we discussed last uh, in the last episode, the English brought over a lot of their traditions with them, including Halloween. Except for the more Puritan colonies. Uh, they weren't going to have any of that nonsense. Nope. But Halloween didn't really look like it does today. It was a time for gathering with neighbors, celebrating the fall harvest, with dances and food and bonfires. However, you might know as well as I do, where there is a gathering of people around the fire, there's always ghost stories. Halloween eventually started to change into more of what we know um, it to be today, around the middle of the 19th century, with the influx of Irish immigrants into the US bringing their traditions with them. By the turn of the 20th century, People started to dress in more festive costumes, throw parties for adults and children, and some even practiced an early form of trick-or-treating by going door-to-door -door asking for food or money. Uh, this was very much a community event, and in most areas, anything scary was frowned upon. By the 1950s, Halloween became more of a kid's thing because of the baby boom. And trick-or-treating was highly encouraged in communities because it was a cheap way for people to celebrate the holidays and it also kept kids out of trouble. As this generation of baby boomers grew older, they continued to celebrate Halloween and it became more common practice for adults to have their own parties. Halloween also grew more scarier with the boom of horror movies in the 1970s. Thank you, John Carpenter. And with the influx of the, oh, how to put it, uh, the more evangelical set in the 1980s, uh, Protestant religions began misunderstanding how Halloween adopted from a pagan harvest festival 
um, to a Catholic harvest festival to a secular community get-together. Halloween started really to go back into deep history. Started to get a bad rap during the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century because it started as a pagan holiday. Shocking. And was Catholic Saints Day even more horrifying for Protestants? Which meant, in the eyes of Protestants, Halloween was a holiday for witches and Satanists, which we once again briefly talked about last episode. And Puritans bought, brought those same beliefs over to the colonies in the 17th century. So many people today still cling to those beliefs. And you know, those are their beliefs to cling to. They are more than welcome to them. It just means more candy for me. So speaking of candy, and I, I want to apologize, I was a little bit, my, my attention there kind of wavered. I have Maggie next to me, and she's having little puppy dreams. So I don't know if you can hear her yipping in the background. Okay, but anyways, speaking of candy, that brings us to our next and probably most popular Halloween urban legend. Poison candy. Every year, this one included, schools, churches, police departments, even the Republican Party will issue warnings about people tampering with trick-or-treat candy. This year, Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel went on Fox News and said drug dealers wanted to fill children's Halloween buckets up with rainbow fentanyl pills. Of course, this started a whole wave of panic. Okay, to be fair, on August 30th, the Drug Enforcement Agency, you know, the DEA, did put out a PSA that there was a rise and colorful opioids made to look like children's candy coming into the United States. It was not a PSA intended to scare the shit out of parents or to say drug dealers were pushing fentanyl on kids. It was just saying, hey, there's this new way that the cartel is bringing fentanyl into the United States. Joel Best a sociology and criminal justice professor at the University of Delaware who has spent years setting the myth of tainted Halloween candy recently pointed out how incredibly dumb the story is. Drug dealers are not gonna give away drugs to children, especially for free. Dr. Caleb Bantagreen, director of the University of Washington Center for Community Engaged Drug Education, Epidemiology, and Research agreed with Mr. Best. He said the goal of drug dealers is to maximize profits and giving it away for free to children with no money doesn't make any sense. Children are not the target audience for drug dealers, especially on Halloween when paranoid parents are watching. Giving away drugs to children increases the chances of getting arrested, which many drug dealers are actively trying to avoid. But Aaron, there have been all these stories of tainted, tainted candy. I have found one verifiable case of tainted Halloween candy that killed a child, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Mr. Best 
went through newspapers dating all the way back to the 1950s and found fewer than 90 cases of candy tampering and none of the events were random attempts to harm children. They were either adults doing shitty things for financial gain or children pranking each other. There have been five child deaths misattributed to poison candy. These children died from, an, from accidentally consuming heroin not found in candy, natural causes, and one death at the hands of a parent which acerbated the myth of poison Halloween candy. That is the case of Ronald Clark O'Brien, also known as the Candyman, also known as the man who killed Halloween. On October 31st, 1974 in Texas, O'Brien took his daughter, eight-year-old son Timothy, and a few other children trick-or-treating. They knocked on the door of one house, but no one answered. When the children walked away, O'Brien went back to the house and came back with large pixie sticks, uh, the big plastic ones with the staples at the end. He said the owner of the house didn't get to the door quick enough and gave the kids pixie sticks. Later that evening, Timothy opened the pixie sticks but complained it tasted odd. He died later that evening of cyanide poisoning. At first, investigators believed Timothy was the victim of random poisoned Halloween candy and also discovered cyanide in the other pixie sticks given to the children. However, further investigation found that there was no one at the house O'Brien claimed to receive the candy at. The owners were gone that evening. The police also discovered O'Brien was in massive financial debt and had put life insurance policies on his own children. He called the insurance company to make a claim the day after Timothy died. Authorities tested the pixie sticks and found that the stick given to Timothy had enough cyanide in it to kill two adults. The other sticks had enough cyanide to kill three to four adults. It was a miracle the other children didn't eat the tainted candy. Police and prosecutors theorized O'Brien gave the sticks to the other children to give sway to the old Halloween urban legend about random candy poisoning. In 1975, O'Brien was convicted of capital murder and was executed by lethal injection in 1984. While there may not be a lot of weight behind poison candy, there is some evidence of razors or pins in Halloween candy. But once again, most of this was done by people intending on frightening people they knew. Except for one case I found. In Minneapolis in 2000, James Joseph Smith put needles in Snickers bars and handed them out to children on Halloween. One kid was actually pricked by one of them, but not serious enough to actually warrant a trip to the hospital. The police obviously got involved, arrested Smith, and charged him with one count of of adulterating a substance with intent to cause harm or illness. Here's something you should know. Smith was crazy, literally. 
he was declared incompetent to stand trial. What about the old standby, razors and apples? For some of my younger listeners, apples are good old autumn pastime and uh, many throwback Halloween parties featured a game called Bobbing for Apples. Apples will be thrown into a wash tub, not a bathtub, of water, and you would try to pick one out with your teeth. It's actually very challenging and fun, but kind of annoying if you spent hours doing a killer Halloween makeup job. Apples were also given out in lieu of candy during trick-or-treating, and those are the houses that more than likely got egged at the end of the night. Since the late 1960s, rumors abounded of razor blades being found in apples, which led to the demise of apples, popcorn balls, and other homemade treats being handed out on Halloween. Here's the thing. Virtually all reports of razors being found in apples during Halloween were hoaxes concocted by children or even parents looking for attention or wanting to scare someone they already knew. Of course, you know, that didn't stop New Jersey from passing a law mandating prison time for those who booby-trapped apples. And you know what? I kind of agree with them. Then we come to the LSD-laced temporary tattoos. This one goes back to the 1970s. The fear was a drug dealer wanted to expand his or her customer base and handed out LSD rub-on tattoos to children, hoping they would get hooked. Uh, Once again, children are not a great source of business because most of them don't have money, and it increases your chances of getting caught by the police. Second, while LSD can be absorbed through the skin, it would require a massive dose to even feel the effects. LSD is ingested. Also, there have been no verifiable cases of children coming into contact with LSD laced rub-on tattoos. They are more likely to take a trip on candy than they are on LSD. So Aaron, are you saying that there's no need for me to check my child's Halloween candy this year? I am absolutely not saying that. You are allowing strangers to give your children candy. Of course you're going to check it. Well, most people are good, honest human beings who want your children to have the best Halloween ever. There are a few horrible people out there who ruin it for the rest of us. Check your children's bounty at the end of the night if only to sneak a Snickers or two. So what other Halloween myths do we have? Um, How about sex offenders out to kidnap your children on Halloween? In the past, in some US cities, registered sex offenders were required to put out no candy or other similar signs during Halloween. This still goes on in some cities, though several federal courts have declared it unconstitutional. I'm not going to go into whether it is or it is not. We're not here for that. The story of predators, sex offenders, or Satanists out to kidnap children on Halloween has been around for centuries. Guess what? 
There are no verified reports of any registered sex offender or Satanist ever kidnapping a child trick-or-treating on Halloween. The risk of discovery is just too great because there's so many people around. That being said, there is always a risk of a child being abducted, especially if that child is alone. On October 27, 1992, 11-year-old Shauna Howe was walking home alone after Girl Scout Halloween party in Oil City, Pennsylvania, when she was kidnapped. An eyewitness saw the kidnapping and gave a description of a, the man and the vehicle to police. A few days later, Shauna's body was found in a rocky creek bed. She had been violently sexually assaulted and had been thrown alive from a railroad bridge. The town of Oil City outlawed nighttime trick-or-treating when Shauna's murderer was not found. A decade later, DNA testing finally caught Shauna's killers. DNA evidence from another case matched to DNA found on Shauna, and police arrested James O'Brien, his brother Timothy, and another man, Ted Walker, for Shauna's kidnapping and murder. The O'Brien brothers were convicted of second and third degree murder, and Walker copped a plea. The nighttime ban on trick-or-treating was lifted in Oil City in 2008 after the convictions. Parents, watch your children. Children travel in groups. The odds of them being abducted or harmed by a sex, sex offender on Halloween is low because most of these crimes are the crimes of opportunity. But don't let your child become a victim of a crime of opportunity. Remember, most people are good, but there are real monsters out there. Obviously, there are a lot of Halloween or scary myths out there like Bloody Mary, Killer Clowns, which freaks the F out of me, and decorations that are actually real bodies, which actually, no joke, there's a real case about that one. I picked the ones in this episode because they are the ones that have almost killed Halloween. Many parents have given up trick-or-treating and have moved on to the ever-popular trunk-or-treating, which, you know, that's fine. Whatever works for you. As long as your kid is happy and safe, it's no business of mine. One of the reasons I did this episode is because I deplore urban legends, especially those you see floating around social media. Urban legends are not meant to be informative. They're meant to scare you. And you are doing more harm than good by passing them on with the excuse, oh, it's better safe than sorry. Passing these stories along are dangerous for two reasons. One, you're crying wolf. And when a real case comes along, people will be less likely to believe it. And two, you're pulling people's attentions away from the real dangers. Case in point. This month, a rumor was going around Seattle that scores of women in the 30s were being, being killed and posed in the same way. A well-meaning restaurant owner took to social media to warn people and only said something along the lines that King County detectives were looking into it, but he cited no sources. The hubbub grew so large 
that King County Sheriff's Department and the Seattle PD had to go on the news and say, no, none of this is true. There is not a serial killer active in Seattle. While well-meaning, the restaurant owner and everyone else who reposted the story took attention away from the real dangers and the real investigations in Seattle and made it more probable for people to ignore future stories of real predators in the area. So here's Aaron's tips for the week. Question things you see on the news and social media. Where did this information originate? What evidence does the source have? Does this make sense? Is it logical? Is the source out to scare people? Is it politically motivated? Is it verifiable? Most of the time, a simple Google search can answer all those questions. All you have to do is use a little common sense. Halloween-wise, watch your kids and check their candy. Chances are you won't find an edible in their bag. But if you do, dude, total score. Just kidding. People are not going to dole out serious cash to get your kids stoked. Not in this economy. So that does it for uh, this bonus episode. For those of you who don't know, the history behind the crime is now available on iTunes and Stitcher. For those of you who are just joining, welcome and thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. I can't tell you the joy it gives me every morning I wake up and I, I check my, my podcast statistics and there are so many more listeners. It's just, it's awesome. You guys make my day. Uh, I guess this is where I also say don't forget don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram at the history behind the crime. If you would like to tell me how great I'm doing or that I'm full of crap, or if you have any suggestions, you can reach out at the history behind the crime at gmail.com or on Instagram. I'll be back next time with an episode that will test your skepticism. Until then, do me a favor, take care of yourselves, and take care of each other. Happy Halloween!